Hello and welcome to Reptory Screenings, episode 35. I'm your host, Ammon. With me is my regular co-host, Jackson. Yo! And Destiny. Yo! Movies! We're We're here to podcast. Yeah. Who's seen a movie? Not me! I've seen a movie. Uh, yeah, me and, me and Dustin got a lot, actually, because Halloween happened since we last oh, recorded. Oh, right, yes. <laughs> yes. And I've watched a movie since Halloween. Oh, right, okay. What do you, uh, what do you want to talk about? I watch Vampire's Kiss. Oh, the, the Nick Nicolas Cage, movie. Cage movie. I've never actually seen that one. It's weird as fuck. Yeah, it's one that, uh, Screen.com's Alex Navarro talked up once upon a time. Yes. It's entertaining. Nick Cage does like three different accents for no reason. And he's doing this whole like Nosferatu shtick. And it, it's just bizarre. It doesn't quite know what its tone is. I still had fun. Uh, Nosferatu shtick is my Krautrock cover <laughs> band. <laughs> uh, I've only seen like the Nick Cage being ridiculous clips from that movie, so I have no idea what the movie is, but I've seen the, like, A, B, C, D scene. Um, I've seen him running around going, I'm a vampire, I'm a vampire. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> it's uh, it's about this, like, guy in publishing who is either slowly losing his mind or he's under the thrall of a seductress vampire played by Flashdance's Jennifer Beals. Mm-hmm. And the movie plays with whether or not that's in his head or if there's an actual vampire. It's I called Vampire's Kiss, vampire. so I assume he's an actual vampire. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm not going to tell you. You have to watch it. Well, okay. I mean, I, I feel pretty confident in my uh, in my cool there. Um, let's see. We had Halloween. Me and Destiny watched a bunch of horror movies. What do I want to talk about? We watched Evil Dead. That's really good. Jackson watched Evil Dead Challenge. Okay. Um, and then we I watched... I think Jackson would... Wait, was that? Oh, I was going to say, I think Jackson would be totally spooked by Evil Dead. Yeah, but they should still watch it. (laughs) Fine, I'll try Evil Dead. Um, And then we watched uh, Rob Zombie's Halloween, which is an incredible film still. Um, Still good. The power of just casting an actual teen in your horror movie about a teen is undeniable. Um, Really buoyed by, like, good central performance. But also just, like... It's just a good movie about, like, chewing on the things Halloween is about, like, legacies of violence and, you know, the ways in which people fall down in responding to it. And it's good. I'm really excited to watch 2 because 2 is even more about that stuff. Um, and uh, I know that's, like, the, the film darling. I don't remember much of 2. I watched it in a theater, but it, it fall right out of my head. So, um, And then we also watched Let's Scare Jessica to Death, which is a very uh, dreamy 70s ghost story that i had never seen before um that was really good uh it's like the slowest burn horror movie in the world it's not very scary and it's mostly just about like you know uh some rich people try to escape from into the rules uh, parts of connecticut pennsylvania yeah um to like start an apple orchard because uh, this guy's wife had like a mental breakdown of some kind or whatever, and she just got out of the hospital. And they're like, he's like, let's sell everything I own and let's go to the to the you know, out into the middle of nowhere and we'll start over and spend their savings going to this house that is nebulously maybe haunted. Um, and it and it's good. It's a uh, it's a surprisingly cool, uh, thoughtful movie. I liked it a lot. It's yeah. one of my favorites. It's technically a vampire movie. You're, you're giving away the thing. Nah. Yeah. So, <laughs> hang on. So, in that, you'll reveal where, whether there's vampires, but you won't tell me whether there's vampires in the movie Vampire's Kiss. Because Vampire's <laughs> Kiss plays with your expectations. <laughs> Let's Scare Jessica to Death might actually not be a vampire movie also. It's, compl- it's, it's weird. It's very unclear about what's going on on purpose. Yes. Um, but it's good. It's on Criterion for the next uh, for the rest of the month if you're interested. Um, maybe longer, but I, at least that long because they only take movies off the end of the month. So uh, that's what we did. I didn't watch any other movies besides. So I guess you should probably get into our movie this time. Um, I think Destiny wants a nap and has another podcast. And <laughs> <laughs> uh, we watched uh, for this episode Rope, the 1948 um, Alfred Hitchcock movie based on the 1929 play of the same name uh, by Patrick Hamilton. 
uh, starring James Stewart, John Dahl, Farley Granger. Um, maybe you've heard of him, James Stewart. <laughs> he does walk in. He's like, hey, that's James Stewart. Uh, Jackson, do you want to describe this movie? Yeah. Uh, Rope is the story of uh, Brandon and Philip who murder their friend David in The Perfect Murder. Uh and to c- confirm and show off and enjoy the thrill of how perfect it is, they have invited all their friends uh, to a party while the body is in a case. And over the course of this party, uh, James Stewart's Rupert uh, slowly starts to suspect maybe something is up. Um, and you realize that, oh, they he's like one of the people at college who they like talked about their murder fantasies with because they're all... Uh, upper class um like rich people who think they're better than everyone and th- thus it is their right to commit murder and maybe brandon has stopped just talking about it and finally done it and it is a slow burn through the course of the dinner as rupert like starts to put it together is it just talk is it someone actually something actually happened and then uh eventually like finds david's hat um and he never showed up at the party, so then he comes back and re- and starts interrogating them, and they have a little like back and forth dance. But the whole time, F- Philip is just flop sweats the whole movie. Uh, he can't take it. He breaks. He's like, "Oh, he knows already!" And uh, the confrontation is out in the open. He opens the case. He finds David's body, and uh, renounces that he ever said those horrible things. Now that Brandon has made them into reality, um, there's a confrontation over the gun. Uh, Rupert gets it, and instead of shooting anyone, he shoots out the window, um, alerting the police to something is going on, and then slowly walks away, sits down, uh, as Philip and Brandon uh, await the, their fate. And that's the whole movie. It's like a, an actually easy summary to do, where I'm not kind of like scrambling, like normal. Yeah. Uh, based on um, the Leopold and Loeb murders of in the 20s, because it was based on a play that was written in 1929. Yeah, um, Dustin, you were saying? I was going to say, permission to talk about true crime. Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> uh, yeah, so Nathan Leopold and Richard Loeb decided in 1924 that they were intellectually uh, superior to everyone and they could get away with the perfect crime. So they kidnapped and murdered a 14-year-old boy. And um, this happened in Chicago, Illinois. And uh, Clarence Darrow famously was their defense lawyer. Uh, You guys know who that is. The Scopes Monkey trial lawyer. Um, But yeah, they uh, both were in prison for a very, very, very long time. But this murder has inspired at least four movies. Uh, including this one. So that's why I wanted to talk about the case. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. Um, And then famously, this movie is like, not quite one shot, not even close, actually, but set up like it is a uh, a continuous shot. Um, That wouldn't have been possible because film cameras at the time only shot like 10 minute reels. And even then they don't actually shoot full 10 minute reels um they are cutting in honestly pretty haphazard and obvious ways <laughs> between um um long takes um and we'll talk about it uh because i feel like the format of it being a play adaptation makes it feel like the thing that they end up doing with a long shot anyway like you didn't even need this gimmick uh because you can you can smell a movie based on a play a mile away <laughs> Um, and I actually has... think the gimmick. Oh, go ahead. I can say I think the gimmick works surprisingly well. Yeah, yeah. I just don't know if it's necessary. Uh, it's not actually the the reason I think it works is because there are like actually a couple times where it does just regular cuts and you like feel them. Uh, yeah, which would be the whole point, right? Like a lot of movies do this, but like have the thing the whole time. But if you do it the whole time, then why? You know, you need the cut to emphasize the like holy shit moments where someone says something small but realizes oh. There could be a murder. 
there could be a murder here. That's true. Uh, more uh, impressively, impressively to me is it, it has uh, like one of the largest uh, like lit backdrops ever made in film as the entire yes. movie takes place in this penthouse apartment that has that opens up to a fake New York skyline where it goes from daylight to nighttime over the course of the movie uh, with like moving clouds and light up billboards and uh, all sorts of stuff like that, which is just incredible. Yeah, like as it the sun starts setting and the neon lights turn on and start coming through the windows. Yes, a psychorama. That's what it's called. Uh, it's it's an amazing looking movie. It's like you know, nine forty eight Technicolor, um, just fantastic. Yeah, this is Hitchcock's first Technicolor film. Yep. Um, so yeah, uh, I'd never seen this. You'd never seen it either, Jackson. Destiny, uh, yeah. you are like this movie a lot already, right? Yeah, it's one of the Hitchcock films I've seen the most. Mm-hmm. Um, I um, have watched a lot of Hitchcock, but like early Hitchcock, so I'm, I'm way spottier when we get to the, like the 40s um, and 50s. But um, I was really surprised with this movie because it fucking whips. It's really good. And it's really funny to me. <laughs> yes, the dialogue is very funny. Um. This movie literally has a scene where Philip like turns away or where uh, Brandon's like, oh, I didn't tell you. And Philip turns dramatically away to camera and goes, no, you didn't. And then walks out of a room. <laughs> uh, yes. It's all I ask for in cinema. Please just give me characters like very dramatically having a basic disagreement about something. <laughs> um, Philip's amazing in this movie. <laughs> I uh, Brandon is amazing in this movie to me. I feel like uh, he's just he's just so good at being almost like the Hannibal style of charming serial killer. Except you can't get over the part where he's just a big slimeball asshole. <laughs> he's such a slimeball yeah, he's asshole. the worst. Like he thinks he thinks he's Hannibal, but he's not. He's like a used car salesman version of Hannibal, and he just reeks of like smarm in this way that's impossible for him to get away with. Yep. Because everyone thinks he sucks. Oh, yeah. They all hate him. They're all like, what is he up to now? What is he doing now? He's so manipulative. Right. Because they don't know he's like killing anyone, but they all do think he's full of shit at all times. Yes. Yep. And all of them immediately think he did something with David when David didn't show up. Like, like they think he just like convinced him to go somewhere else or paid him off or whatever. But they all immediately suspect. <laughs> right. They all immediately suspect. But their suspecting is so... Uh, funny because it's like below the stakes of this movie uh and, and they just suspect like normal asshole stuff like mm-hmm. oh you've told him to go somewhere else so you can set these people up because you're like playing chef of people and you asshole and he's like i have a body in the case <laughs> <laughs> just ludicrous yeah um but I will say, uh, Philip is great, uh, if only because uh, everyone loves a good flop sweater. Um, I think it works better in the early half of the movie and not when he... Like, there's a bit in the movie where, like, clearly a reel changes, like, 20 minutes from the end, and suddenly Philip is, like, sweaty and his hair is disheveled, and it's, like, in that one cut, like, three hours have passed for him physically. Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> and I think it's... I think he's less good when he's, like, that falling apart. I liked it better when he's playing the piano uh, to music that has clearly been put in after the fact and uh, trying to <laughs> lie about something while the metronome is going. Like, that's the Philip I like more. That's that is uh, incredible stuff. Yeah, no, no, the Philip's just like me uh, when I hid food from my mum in, in my teen years. When I, you know, came home, got some snacks, and mum's like, "Oh, you can't have snacks," so I hid them in my room. But she knows that they're in my cupboards. <laughs> Philip's just like that, just with freaking out. Yeah, just uh, peak kind of cartoonish anxiety. Uh, yeah, he has no chill. Uh, I do like, and I feel like it's one of those things where um, this had to have been not not as blatant to audiences at the time, but Brandon and Philip are just a couple in this movie. Uh, I'm fairly sure it was blatant at the time, and like the original play was even more blatant about it. Well, yeah, the, the original play is apparently is more true. blatant, but the movie, um, I just don't know. Because the, the Wikipedia is like, ah, oh, recent reviews and criticism of Rope have noticed a homosexual subtext. I'm like, what are you talking about? They're just <laughs> what a couple. What are you talking about? Yeah. Uh, um, uh, yeah, just a couple. Yeah, I mean, the screenwriter and both actors are like rumored to have been gay. You know, it's the '40s, so who knows for real? But um, mm-hmm. they definitely play it that way to me. Uh, 
where like you know these two young socialites having this party with all their friends uh is also just a weird friction because like you have all these well-to-do members of society and then these two like you know uh intelligentsia dilettantes uh, who are like queer coded throwing this party for them before they go on their vacation to uh you know rural connecticut or whatever <laughs> again rural connecticut <laughs> <laughs> yep they'd love to go there i have no idea where connecticut is <laughs> it's in new england that's all you need i to assume know. it's near new york i don't know where new england is i i except east coast it's all i mean new england is all the stuff in the north part of the east coast Okay, yeah, there you go. I know it was kind of around that, like that side of it, but I'm not, yeah. I have no idea where states are. We've done like a states quiz before, and I've been cartoonishly wrong. You know what? <laughs> People could be more wrong. I think you did all That's right, true. if I remember correctly. Yeah. Um, <laughs> God. Uh, but yeah, because this this movie is quote like you know often reads as like this couple with all of their like het friends trying desperately to like fit in and be cool. The, when Jimmy Stewart shows up and he's like this character who's like, I I have been posturing as an academic for decades. It, the idea that you would be gay is beyond my notice. I don't care. I just live in the world beyond morals and uh, social mores. Uh, is when it really kicks in high gear because he is instantly like he's. He has all of the presence of Jimmy Stewart, but also he's a buffoon who talks a big game, but doesn't, it was clearly could never back it up. <laughs> yeah, and that's like why he wasn't brought in on the scheme in the first place. Yeah, he doesn't uh, have the stuff. Doesn't have the stuff. He can like appreciate murder intellectually, but he could never actually kill someone because he's a fucking coward. And then yeah. Philip's like, ah! <laughs> 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 whatever you say, Brandon. Uh. Uh, yeah, but he's great in here because he, he shows up and he's like, he's just like an asshole, but in like the, the Jimmy Stewart way where it's like charismatic because he has the persona of like being the nice big actor, right? Like he comes in and uh, you know who he is. And then he immediately just starts be- like jabbing at people for no good reason. Like there's a the bit where the housekeeper's like, oh, I got you that food you like. He's like, I don't like it anymore. And she's like genuinely downtrodden because she's been talking about how excited she is. She got it for him for like the entire movie. And he's like, oh, I was just kidding. Don't worry about it. I, I still like it. <laughs> that was a really funny line. <laughs> yes. I liked him making fun of Mrs. Atwater. The something with something with what's her name. <laughs> the something of Boris. The something of Boris. <laughs> Uh, yeah, the middle part of the movie where it's just, like, a comedy about how awful all these people at this party are, which is, like, to be fair, 90%, well, no, I'd say 80% of movies and 95% of plays are always this. Yeah. I mean, this um, is just, this just ends up being Clue, but, like, turned down to 70%, right? Yes. <laughs> yeah. Because, like, when Ms. Atwater comes in, I'm like, oh, these are just Clue characters who just walked in suddenly. Because Mr. Kentley and Ms. Atwater are just Colonel Mustard and Ms. Peacock walking into this dinner party. <laughs> and then they uh, especially when Mr. Kentley about- then gets like very up on arms about uh, the speech about, ah, oh, you know, murder is uh, good, actually, if the rich do it. And then he's like, wait a second, son, I was in the Second World War and uh, what you're talking about is like Nazism. And it's very earnest and like, it's it's good. It's like interesting stuff. But also this man is like a, just like a cartoon as he sits there and like cleans his glasses and calmly states about how kids in our day understood the value of life, not like you kids in the 40s. <laughs> yeah. Especially as, like, this is, like, the, the philosophical debate of the movie, right? It's, like, a study of um, these just people who have become so rich and detached by their class from society that they think that they have the right to kill people. Uh, and so that's kind of what the movie's about. And, yes, the way they, uh, ex- like, explore this is through this, this conversation and <laughs> him just sitting there in the middle of uh, Jimmy Stewart uh discussing um with brandon like ah oh, murder you know some people are of, of a superior being ah oh, like Nisha, yes well i believe some of us could be that superior being and who and then jimmy stewart goes off the well you know we've got to kill all the hotel workers because sometimes you're late to your hotel and fuck them and everyone like laughs ha dinner party banter and then this guy this like old guy in the middle is basically just like his monocles popping out of his t- his eye and falling into his teeth i mean it's not actually happening right but like it <laughs> 
has that vibe as he's like hang on are you all actually saying this and he basically says that about six times as they go yeah no we're actually saying this but like for real like for real like murder like you're saying this about murder and they go yes no murder and then he goes no but are you saying this about murder and it just becomes the Stuart Lee bit basically um it's it's uh it's a great scene it's just very funny uh, the thing about this is, like, Jimmy Stewart's, uh, this is, uh, uh, examples are, uh, the, like, wait, the head waiter at a restaurant you want to get a table to. Um, the, uh, what was the other one you said? It was uh, hotel workers and it was hotel workers. Yeah, hotel landlords. workers and then landlords. <laughs> just, like, bereft yeah. of the idea of, like, class consciousness. Like, it's just like, ah, uh, these are all people who get in your way and stop you from doing the thing you want in any given moment. And it's, like, such a very, like, individualistic mode of thinking about like the people who are obstructions to put service workers and landlords in the same discussion in the same yes <laughs> yeah i appreciate that as well like i don't know i assume not until intentional uh but it like it's it's an incredible moment <laughs> well the thing about this that i like is at the end when he finally gives a speech of like oh you've you've revealed that i was just a hypocrite this entire time i don't have the capacity to murder because i'm just a decent human being and i believe in every man's capacity to work and live and dream for himself i'm like the thing that both of them are arguing for is like different versions of like very staunch individualism um yes because nobody's like, ah, oh, you do, just don't kill people because we live in a society and everyone takes care of each other. That's what we're supposed to do. It's always like every man has the freedom to live and die on his own without being murdered by someone else. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It just turns into like this objectivist argument against murder uh, that was already like based in like this very individual, like, you know, Nietzschean foundation. Um, they are more in agreement than they want to admit that they are. And the movie is not like a cognizant of that, but I think it makes it more interesting that he's, his like conclusion is just like the, the killing people is too far because the violence is already inherent in the system. Um, yeah, I did think that the, like the final speech in the ending was a little bit of a cop out. Um, you know, he, I uh, I thought it I thought it was too interesting in what it revealed about like the more the morals of the time to be a, to read as a cop out to me because the thing true. he's arguing for is still like very this. bad yes, <laughs> yes. he's like ah um, oh, that man could have had kids and lived to be a hundred and retired from his job and you killed him right because <laughs> uh, there's no awareness of like the movie doesn't actually. It is on some level, right, some a kind of like social satire, right? Uh, yeah. Because of how uh, ludicrous all these murdering rich people are. Like, that's part of the joke. But it is not, it doesn't come to the point of like, the violence is inherent in the fact that these are people who sit around drinking and talk about murder because of the way that at the end, Jimmy Stewart's like, oh, that's one of the bad things. Because yes, it, it plays, like, you're right, like it plays it as like he is now absolved and he's seen the error of his ways, but he's still just a rich person who believes this, just in a different, like, way. Yeah. Just, and yeah. also, like, he, him coming to the conclusion that no, actually, murder is bad does not uh, excuse the part where he talked about murder to these kids 10, 15 years ago, and it's why they did it in the first place. Yeah, he's responsible. Like, the movie so desperately wants to dissolve him because he he only intellectualized the idea of murdering other people. He didn't act on it, as if that is, like, cognitively different. Um, and, you know, the underlying question of all of this also is, d- does everyone only matter, like, care about this because they all knew David and he was their friend who was also rich and popular, right? Well, that's basically what I almost thought he was going to say at the end. Is like, this wasn't one of our betters. This was like our class of people. Yeah. Um, you killed the wrong person. He basically walks right up to that line and then just kind of left turns, but only slightly. Only like barely left turns away from it. Yeah. Uh, in his final speech. Because that's definitely how the ending plays of like, but that's that's our friend. Oh, you shot this boy. You should have shot Mrs. Wilson. Uh, they'd have got away with it if they shot, if they uh, killed the housekeeper. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And then, and then, unintentionally, maybe uh, the funny bit, if only because we live in a world of like true crime podcasts and stuff. The credits are listed with David first, and then everyone's relationship to him in like yes! a very like <laughs> performative centering the victim way. <laughs> yes. Which I don't know if that was a thing in the forties, but today just reads as like like the true crime version of saluting the troops. <laughs> absolutely that. This is absolutely this character a true crime that doesn't matter is actually the center of everything, and we we need to remember that he's the person who died. And I'm like, he wasn't real. What are you talking about? 
<laughs> he was real to them. That girl was going to marry him for his money. That other guy was jealous of him. <laughs> yeah. Also, David seems like he sucks. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Because everyone in this movie sucks. Because they're all like this kind of rich people, people except the housekeeper. And um, uh, even then, like she's not played like necessarily as like, oh, a real lower class person among the... It's not like an upstairs downstairs situation into like that much. No. Um, well, I don't know. He makes her work on a weekend and she didn't expect it. Oh yeah, I mean it is there, but it's not like the movie plays her perspective as like so diff- radically different from everyone else. No, like, she's, she she literally behavior. talks as she's prepping about how the one time she like almost dated that guy. Like, uh, was it was it Rupert? She was like, oh, you know, there's one time we shared champagne on my birthday, and I'm going to keep flirting yes. with him. <laughs> and yes, that's that's was... not like you know that is different than how this would be portrayed in like a more class conscious like British version of this, right? Mm-hmm. The help would never be like, oh, I'm going to date the guest of honor. That's I like true. The, the way that uh, she like t- like ends up kind of talking with Rupert, you know, and gossiping, uh, it just it just feels different, right? And uh, she, which has like, um, I, I think I prefer it because I think she's able to be like a better, funnier character because of it. Yes. but it definitely has the thing where she's excited to serve everyone. Also, yes. um, yep. So, yeah, but also fraud, very but yeah. mad that they messed up her table. This is hard. Where she She's literally almost dist- like almost gave up the game early by trying to fix everything immediately. <laughs> yes. Oh, I love that scene. Yes. I love that scene where they're just focusing on her and everybody's talking. Yes, as there's a big discussion happening as she's almost reveals the body. Literally like 15 minutes of clearing off the table and moving everything from one far end of the apartment to the other. It's so good. Uh, yeah, this this looks very good. I the intentionality is like uh, hard to say just because this was a long time ago at this point. Yeah, um, this movie is over seventy years old and it's based on a play that is almost a hundred years old. So, um, it's true. Uh, <laughs> but like the play is also like made in nineteen twenty nine. Yeah. Um, when you know it's a it's not a. Not not the best time for people's opinions towards rich people. Yeah, no, that's true. Uh, the original play is set in London. It is it is about British stuff. So really? Yes. This is the most like British play ass movie ever. So yeah, <laughs> yes. that makes... yeah. No, it is. I'm. I just didn't know that about the play. No, yep. that's um, fascinating. One of my favorite sequences in this movie, uh, by the way, is when. Uh, when um philip's getting his palms read by uh by miss that water and he's like oh what about my hands i mean I, you know i'm trying to do music how do you feel like what's my future in concert piano uh pian- pianism i don't words um and she's like oh these hands will make you very famous <laughs> he like blanches and turns to camera dramatically like she means the murder <laughs> these but hands crucial part of this scene is the last thing we've seen him do before getting his hands read was he crashed a, the glass in his own hand and started bleeding yes <laughs> so it's just like the most heightened comedy of um uh, i'm trying to think of like a good example i i can't think of a single example of movie but like a coen brothers type thing at least in a modern sense right of just cartoonishly suffering of this guy who's trying to get out of something, uh, but the world is just owning him every time. Yes, but also like oh, yeah, literally, literally coming Lady Macbeth with blood on his hands to get his palms red, and she's like, "These are the hands that will make the <laughs> nightly news." <laughs> <laughs> and everyone talks to him like that because because um, uh, Brandon's having more like normal banter with everyone as he's like playing his. Oh yes, I'm very charming, and uh, well, who knows where David is? Where do you think he is? Um, <laughs> kind of game with everyone. But then when, it, when it's any time for further conversation, it's absolutely like, uh, uh sure hope you haven't strangled anyone with a rope recently. Like that's basically one of the conversations because they bring up a time in uh, college he strangled a chicken. Yes. <laughs> and so everyone he keeps talking about that. That Philip he strangles real good, doesn't he? Yeah. Chicken chaser. Chicken chaser. Uh, and because it's 1948, no one brings up the part where, like, uh, you know, doing harm to animals is one of the main signs of psychopaths. That's <laughs> right. That didn't come into play until later. Yeah, but but uh, Janet definitely talks about Freud briefly, which is uh, a great window into an era. <laughs> 
There's always a reason. Yeah. Uh, Janet's great because she walks in basically out of a different movie uh, with like a wardrobe that is seemingly 15 years out of date calling everyone chum like she's Catherine Hepburn. It's very funny to me. (laughs) (laughs) Um, It's amazing, especially the way she doesn't like end up really getting involved with the murder plots. No. So her experience of this evening <laughs> is just night and day different from the actual stuff going on. And she's like, oh, this, this, these, people, these guys fucking with my relationship. I've got two of my exes here. Because um, they mentioned in one line that she's also Brandon's ex. Yes, she's also yeah. Brandon's ex. And she thinks that Brandon is trying to set her back up with her other ex, Kenneth, <laughs> over David. But in like, and she doesn't really understand why he would. She thinks she's she's doing he's doing that. Doesn't understand why she was the whole movie like. Been like, why is this the play? Why the fuck? I mean, I guess he doesn't like David. But if he, he doesn't, doesn't like David, David why, he's like a weird it's... controlling dude and like smarmy about being right all the time. So he thinks we're the perfect match. Um, and also, it's pretty obvious Janet doesn't actually love David. Yeah, but also yeah, like. But- no, like, uh, Brandon doesn't know, like, he's like, oh, so you set you back up with Kenneth. I can't believe you dumped Kenneth. Kenneth was a good guy. Uh, Kenneth dumped her for being, like, vapid. And then she's like, you were right, actually, because that day I walked around and David was nice to me and I realized that I could be something other than vapid. Uh, this man's attention brought true emotion out of me. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, because she's like, she's, like, she comes in and she is, like, part of this class, but is, like, she writes for a newspaper. She has like this air of like, like a working woman, which automatically implies that she is not upper class in the same way these characters are. Like these characters don't have jobs. The, everyone here has like an old money vibe. Yeah, except Janet. Oh yeah, who, who comes in as someone who's Janet. like new money because she's like really smart and got in when the uh, positions were available to women in the like. War, yeah, the she's economy, a writer. Right? Yes. Yeah. And people like make fun about her like work being kind of like empty as mm-hmm. they're just standing around being like we're so intelligent we could kill people. <laughs> but, but also there's this bit where Brandon extremely does the whole can you believe people read books in this era? <laughs> and when he's talking about Rupert, he's like Rupert has a printing uh, like a, a small publishing imprint, but he only picks books under the assumption that people are going to read them and think about them. <laughs> and she's like, ah, oh, big words, idea. no sales. <laughs> She also, she does also, like, talk basically entirely in, like, pithy comebacks. Yes, yes. Oh, yeah. It's like a running gag about how they never get laughs, but occasionally they do in this mm-hmm. movie. Because um, he's like, oh, what would you say to a little champagne? she say, hello, champagne. And, <laughs> and then there's a pause there, <laughs> everyone just stares at her, she's like, ah, yes, uh, my jokes never land. She's just an anime character at that point. <laughs> she, she is literally, this is just an anime scene, you're right. Uh, Hitchcock's anime. <laughs> fuck it rope fan cam <laughs> yeah uh, so yeah I don't know uh, if I have anything else just peep over the things um, the bit at the end um, where it's just suddenly like the camera following um, uh, Rupert's like deductions I really liked especially as when it first did it I had a moment because I watched too many like you know recent movies uh, where in any in the modern version of the movie with the same camera gimmick, it would like seamlessly become, it would like show you the thing he's imagining, right? Not just the camera movements. Yes. Um, That's Because it, it cuts away and then pans towards the thing with a long enough gap that you're like, oh, they're about to now walk in from this side, uh, which they're not. It doesn't do that. Uh, but it, it, it has the feeling of wo- like it would do that in a worse and definitely more recent movie. I mean, I feel um, like there's also the scene right before he uh, he opens the chest, the camera would like pan digital wipe inside the chest of the dead body as we see like the POV is the cases opened from the inside, like the Pulp Fiction trunk shot. <laughs> yes. Um, instead, that pan has like such a long pause on the like black outside of the chest it feels like it, a commercial break it feels like a commercial a break bit. and also like is there when he first came up and his hand was there i was like is there gonna be a time skip are we having a time skip and then we like figure out who killed who in the end of yeah. this confrontation um, yeah and no it was just it just panned up but like the pan took so long that my brain yeah. ran through all those possibilities yeah i i almost expected him to close the lid and there's like police in the room now and he's like explaining yes. how he came to the conclusion yeah. right 
or there's like or it, i was almost expecting it to be like he closes the lid and then it's actually like brandon standing there and you're like oh what happened to him and they could they kill him again or something you know um because i the whole time expected the movie to end with someone else being strangled uh, I do like Jimmy Stewart fires the gun out the window, uh, and because it's 1948 and not any other era, the gimmick, <laughs> like, the joke is not that, like, no one called the cops when they heard gunshots. Right. <laughs> right. I was thinking that. I was like, in any other era, that wouldn't have elicited that reaction from people. There was such a clamor. Yeah. He just fires out the window, and then they sit there for the next six hours waiting for someone who never comes. <laughs> <laughs> that's There's the, that's sirens the... almost immediately. That's my sequel to Rope, is uh, the them in the room, no no cops coming, having the conversation. Waiting for <laughs> Rope. Waiting for Rope, exactly. Um, but yeah, I mostly really, really enjoyed it. Um, yeah. It's it's just a good movie, you know? It's, it's like a, you know, it's a form that continues on. It's basically the same as Death Note on some level. <laughs> uh, <laughs> They'd be talking way faster if this was uh, Death Note. <laughs> That, I'm remaking this in Death Note style, where suddenly it goes into everyone's mind. He's like, "Does he know about the rope?" But the rope is like angled at this degree. <laughs> he might think I'm double bluffing. Um, <laughs> if I tie the package just like so, he's going to notice that I tied it specifically because it looks like a weird tie. But he's not going to know that that's the rope that's going to be strangled. Because why would someone strangle someone? Why would he use a rope and keep it like this? Obviously, I used a gun because he seen me reach for the gun on multiple occasions. <laughs> It's it's the same. I was thinking of Death Note the whole time because <laughs> they're having the same philosophical arguments and it's the same like cat and mouse back and forth. Um, I need to watch more movies like this because this is like a very universal form of like the two people in a room trying to figure each other out mm-hmm. uh, thing. And uh, I just like it a lot. And um, I haven't I haven't seen many of these at least recently. Uh, I'm like I should go seek out more uh, kind of like this because it's good. And uh, yeah, I, I really like this one. Yeah. Me too. All right. We've got some questions. If you want to send questions, you can send them to podcast at abnormalmapping.com. Um, you can send them about the movies you cover or just any movie. We'll, we'll talk about whatever. Um, our first one is from Sparkletone. It asks, is it gay to murder another human with your roommate as part of a horrifying extended philosophical exercise to prove your own superiority? Uh, yes. Uh, yes. yes. <laughs> Signs point to yes. Sounds pretty gay, bro. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Um, Stove writes in, uh, saying, uh, they saw a production of Rope last year, uh, when it was running in their province. So that means they're from Canada. Uh, one of the notable changes was, uh, setting the film in, uh, Manhattan instead of London. Oh, this must be based on the original play, right? Uh, changing everyone's name. Uh, yet the character that changed the most in Hitchcock's version was Rupert, who was a World War veteran and a poet in the play, which changes how the versions of the characters see the world and the events of the story. That's interesting. Might want to read the play then. Because the idea that yeah, he's I like a nihilist don't. because he's in the First World War is like is actually pretty good. I like that actually. Um, yeah, I went and looked up the play and it was like it has a different ending, um, slightly more ambiguous, mm-hmm. uh, and um, they, they made like you know changes because of the time period and setting. So I was definitely like, I need to go read the play, see if that's available. Yeah. Um, this, uh, goes on to say that this is also the first collaboration between Stewart and Hitchcock. Um, Stewart's generally talked about as an actor who embodies like Americanism, uh, with films like Mr. Smith Goes to Washington. It's a Wonderful Life, uh, which is interesting. Look back at Rope, which is Stewart playing a character who talks about how murder can solve problems such as unemployment and poverty. Um, and it's true. Uh, J- Jimmy Stewart's one of those a- actors who, uh, the first couple of movies I saw him and I really didn't like, and I only like when he plays like monsters and assholes, like quietly. <laughs> yes. And when he does that, he's electric. I just would watch him do this forever. <laughs> he is really good. As he does this, start saying like, ah, consider it that if we killed everyone, then there wouldn't be anyone to have, anyone left to have problems. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. What if we had a, a cutthroat week? Or a strangulation day. He does invent day. the purge. <laughs> yes, he does invent the purge. Yeah, he does. As like as like a droll exercise in like population reduction and like like just like really fascist eugenics shit, right? Like, yeah. Truly. So there's no wonder the guy next to him is like, hang on, yeah, you're like doing the, the, a Hitler thing. Hitler. And it's interesting because he's like the European guy, right? Like he's the one who stands up and is like, my word, and on the continent we heard of such things, and that was Hitler. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
Uh, we a couple questions here. Uh, what are your favorite limited setting movies? I'm like the only person that liked the Hateful Eight. I mean, I enjoy uh, the Hateful Eight, but I don't like saying that I enjoy Tarantino in public these days. <laughs> uh, good point. Uh, the Thing. Yeah. Uh, Evil Dead and Evil Dead Two. I'm trying to think of good examples. I know there are some for me, but I'm, I don't. I not immediately coming to mind. Um, I'm trying to think of what is the name of this. Uh, the Exterminating Angel, the Boonwell movie. That's a good one. Mm-hmm. That's about people who are at like a dinner party and find themselves unable to leave because of magical reasons. Ooh, I like, I've never seen that. It's really good. Yeah. Uh, I like Cube. Yeah, Cube. Cube definitely counts. Um, Cube Saw, absolutely Saw's counts. also pretty good. I like Saw. Saw's also good. Yeah. So, um, but uh, Cube's a classic of that exact genre. Yep. Um, was the gimmick of having the film take place in real time with longer shots worth it? Did you feel the limitation that it posed was not worth the experiment? Um, I actually like the real time. There was a thing on the Wikipedia page that I thought was interesting of someone arguing that like, the movie is not actually running in real time. It is running in faster than real time because uh, dinner part, the meal takes too short of time and the like full daylight to sunset takes too short of time also. And so actually everyone talking so fast is like implied that the movie is like running at like hyper fast speed slightly. Huh. That, is, that is a ridiculous theory to just be like the abstraction of a movie means that the events take place quicker <laughs> i love it though i think it's so funny it, it's, it's really good interesting. it's interesting to ponder i don't think it like matters much i do like no. when uh stuff is in real time there's an there's an episode of justice league the cartoon that's about them defusing a bomb and the joker's like it's gonna take 20 minutes and then a 20 minute clock <laughs> appears on the screen uh Amazing. and like it factors like it after com- it comes back from commercial like they've ad- like accounted for the commercial break and stuff uh it's really good that's beautiful yes um did anyone else have anything for that one um not necessarily um i like uh, the field in england I, I liked the gimmick uh did oh, rupert right. uh, did rupert cadell create the purge <laughs> yes 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 um, if you were invited to a dinner party, how suspicious would you be if you had to eat from an old antique wooden chest? The part where people thought this was weird is like the weirdest part of this movie. That, <laughs> yes. I, I just assumed when they first did that and he was worried that everyone would come in and go, oh, we're eating from an old antique chest. How charming is exactly what like the reactions I expected from the guests. I was like, oh, you, you put out a buffet in the living room so everyone could grab their quiches without having to get up. That sounds great. <laughs> Yeah, and it doesn't seem that weird to me. That's literally what Brandon says. He's justifying it. Everyone can grab their quiches. <laughs> yes. I mean, the actual answer yeah. is like in our in our dining room, the table is covered in gunpla and like uh, paint, and <laughs> uh, we don't use our table to eat because we live in 2020. <laughs> yeah, right? we don't have a dining room. Uh, we have a table in the, in the kitchen here in this house, uh, which we never eat at because we eat on the sofa, like everyone else. <laughs> I think that's just a class thing. And then um, the fact that the housekeeper had the setting already out and they yeah. moved it. I don't know. Um, and then the next question, what's everyone's favorite Hitchcock movies? Ooh. I really like uh, Frenzy and uh, I'm going to be that bitch and say Vertigo. I need to rewatch Vertigo. I've only seen a few, I think. Um, I I like Rear Window a lot. Uh, That's though, good. I, though I saw that like doing, uh, people in online being like, "Oh, it's one of the best movies," which is just hilarious to me. It's fine, but it's not like super amazing. Um, this might honestly be my favorite one of the ones I've seen so far because I, I saw Psycho and was kind of disappointed by it. I like. I really like the birds. Uh, I liked uh, the Lodger. Um, I liked Blackmail, uh, the silent version, not the sound version. Um, I liked the Man Who Knew Too Much, the original one. I liked Thirty Nine Steps. Um, let's see. I remember liking North by Lady. Northwest. I remember liking the Lady Vanishes. Uh, yeah, um, I like North by Northwest a lot. Um, 
Yeah, that one's really good. Um, that yeah, might that be one might one of my actually favorite, be my so, favorite. Yeah. Uh, I don't Jinx. really like Real Window that much. Um, it was kind of oversold. I really don't like Psycho. Um, what about Dial M for Murder? Never seen it. Oh, it's pretty good. Like I said, I, I when I watched when Grace I watched uh, Hitchcock stuff, I mostly watched because it started from the beginning. And uh, this motherfucker directed like twenty movies before he went to America uh, that no one's ever seen, and I watched all of them. <laughs> yep. I used to have a box set of those early films, and then I loaned it to an uncle who never returned it, so I never got to watch any of them. I only watched The Man Who Wasn't There, or The Man Who Knew Too Much, or whatever the hell that movie's called. Um, uh, Rear Window is a film, uh, a classic uh, film school experience for me of, um, you know, the very uh, regular thing of uh, your... um, Professor sits you down and tells you here as well. This movie is important and serious, and here's what it's about. And you watch it, and it's just a comedy, and no one, and uh, you know, everyone else is taking it like hyper seriously because it's a serious, proper serious movie. And like this is a comedy. This is this movie's a joke. It's a funny movie, and I was the only one like laughing at the in the movie, which I thought was weird because Ruined is not even like, uh, this is not even like a touch of evil level, right? Where like Orson Welles is kind of uh, looking at the audience a bit. That movie's just funny. He's stuck in his house the whole time. Um, and so I, I i definitely remember enjoying that because uh i feel like that was a lot of my experience at school of like here you will watch the very serious classics and then the ones that are good are just like you know movies and they're funny and warm and good except psycho psycho is the most stuffy classic movie that is actually not as good as everyone says it is uh, i still kind of like it i don't like the ending but i like everything leading up to the ending it's really like impossible it's really impossible for me to untangle seeing psycho like for the first time like five or six years ago and having known literally everything about every everything after the first 20 minutes of psycho like literally shot for shot uh from watching psycho oh okay yeah so i saw it really young so i thought it was just a cool kind of horror film the watching psycho, psycho i was like the, for the first 20 minutes i'm like wait a second this is like a cool crime drama why couldn't we get this movie <laughs> yeah knowing that the movie that it starts off being is gonna get like owned and it becomes a different movie as like it's twist is very funny when that movie's better <laughs> yeah gear shift but also is it's only better because i didn't know right like yes like if i saw if i saw psycho in 1960 i probably would like it but it's not 1960 i just knew too much about psycho mm-hmm um, you know, and then that movie does end with 10 minutes of them going like, and here's what psychology today says about the things that drove this man to murder. <laughs> yeah, that part is no good. No good. It For me, it ends with Anthony Hopkins and with the fly on his hand. Yeah. Um, and then we have questions from Tron at the end. Who's your favorite character in this movie? I liked Mrs. Atwater. Um, I'm Team, team oh, Philip. <laughs> team Brandon. Team Brandon. <laughs> um, I'm probably Team Brandon. I think he's fun to watch. Uh, yeah, for sure. Um, blah, blah, blah. let's see. I think we've covered all the rest of these. Um, yeah, no, the, the big question here is what do you think about the end? But we've covered that. So thanks, Tron, for writing in. That's it. Again, send emails to podcastabnormalmapping.com. Next time, we are going to be watching The Ascent, which is a 1977 Soviet uh, drama film uh, by uh, Larissa Shepitko. Uh, yep, said it, nailed it. And uh, that would be great. Uh, I think that's on Criterion. It's around, uh, you know, if you need to get a hold of it. Uh, I got to be honest with everyone. I, today, I was like, I have some time this morning. I don't have anything going on. I'm going to sit down I'm, for an hour. I'm going to look up movies. I'm going to try to find good international cinema directed by women um, that that aren't French or Japanese. Uh, you know, trying to get away from English speaking, obvious to alternatives. Um, and it's hard. I found a good list. Looked the list. Couldn't find any of the fucking movies anywhere online. Um, it's bad out there. If you want to get away from like the dominance of like Western film canon, uh, you're immediately fucked. <laughs> yes. Uh, I, so we're going to keep trying. Uh, there might be a time in the future where a couple of these movies are like actually hard to get a hold of. Um, you know, if that's true, I will provide guidance in the Discord of how I got a hold of them. Because <laughs> um, there's one that I found that like, j- like, uh, we asked someone who's got access to like a tracker uh, and they couldn't find it. I've got like a 
240p version that I got off of a shady website that as a, like a download and I want to watch it. So we might do that. Um, but, uh, we'll, we'll discuss as we approach, you know, it's just, it's difficult. Like, I'm like, we watch too many movies in English. Uh, we need to spread out, watch some international cinema that is not the big ones. Um, but it's just, it's just hard. You can't, you can't call your weeb shit being different. You can't. Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. If I just wanted to watch Japanese movies or like, you know, French stuff, we could do that for days. We do that for days. It'd be yeah. fun. We pat ourselves on the back about how uh, far afield we're going. You know. Um, anyway, that's, that's just, uh, getting real with you about this. Anyway, uh, plugs, Destiny, where can people find you? At Fridge Buzz Now, and then my other podcast is Badland Girls, which can be found on theabnormalmapping.com. Yeah. Jackson. Uh, I am at HeadfulsOff on Twitter.com, and you can find a bunch of posts there. Uh, you can find the podcast that me and I do at abnormalmapping.com. Uh, a whole bunch of cool ones are there. The ones we do are Abnormal Mapping, which is a game club, um, and, uh, some other ones as well yeah this uh, you, <laughs> yeah um you can find me on twitter at em underscore being uh you can get uh you know we're doing a new ghibli uh podcast about um arietti that's going to be recording this week it'll be up uh next week uh probably in the same slot as this is going up in uh with me and my friend autumn so look forward to that at, at then an airplane uh if you would like to support us you can do that patreon.com slash abnormal mapping where we talk about a bunch of bullshit for money uh we were talking about gundam 08 ms team and gunbuster which is really good um and you know if you you give voip life often me and jackson talk about movies there um because that's what we do uh, especially bad movies. Whenever we watch a bad movie, that's where it goes. Yeah, if you want to know, if you want to know our continuing quest to suffer through every kids' movie of note and how terrible they are, we we will continue to do that. At some point, I'm going to watch Pokemon watch two, Frozen two, and we're going to have a whole Pocahontas episode. Two. Yeah, okay, that too. I probably won't watch Pocahontas two. Ah, uh, maybe yeah. I should. I haven't seen Pocahontas one. Yeah. But yeah, well, we uh, have you should watch Pocahontas like one, and I'll watch Pocahontas two, and we will have a whole VoIP life set for us. <laughs> write that in the write that on our VoIP life list, please. Uh, yeah. <laughs> we have a continuing list of VoIP life concepts. It is our dumbest potential podcast list. That is what it's for. Uh, um, until then, uh, movies now more than ever. And don't expect to like them.